For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show me the money host, Randy Floyd. Thank you so much. Good morning and welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade. I'm just a third wheel here and I'm here to ask the questions for you. But the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. First of all, Randy, how are you doing this fine Saturday morning? I'm doing well. I had a great bike ride this morning. I'm feeling invigorated. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that, Randy. Jake, how are you doing? Doing great, Jeff. I'm glad to hear that as well, too. Hopefully, uh, everybody is doing well this morning and they're invigorated because we've got another great Show Me the Money show. It isn't a Saturday without Show Me the Money, and we've got a lot of important things to talk about on today's radio program. We're going to be talking about recession, whether we're in a recession. I've got a little story to tell you that at least I encountered a recession in my local supermarket. Also, we'll uh, talk a little bit about gas prices today. Also, the size of the market sectors, pension decisions. We'll talk about what's going on in China, but first, gentlemen, Let's talk about what's happening right now in this country as far as the market and the economy goes. We have these bear market rallies. We seem to have them about once every week or two, and then they go back down. Are people really getting false hopes every time these bear market rallies happen? I mean, how should you take this? With a grain of salt? Well, I think that a couple of things are at work here. So, you know, people are more attuned today, I would say, to watching the news and, you know, uh, just picking up on what did the Dow do today? What did the NASDAQ do today? What did the S&P do? And so, you know, they are really a little bit knee-jerk reactive and they're happy one day when it's green. They're, they're not so happy when it's red. <laughs> and a lot of it is, too, is there's a disconnect. We're not very good in this country at educating people in the area of finance and investing and that sort of thing. So for a lot of people, they don't really know what to think, and they're just a little bit, I think, you know, buffaloed by the whole thing. And they're happy, like I said, when it's green. They're not so happy when it's red. And they're really not quite sure where we are in this market cycle. And this is a market cycle. It's a business cycle exacerbated by excess money printing, pandemics, and unemployment, or I should, shouldn't say unemployment, employment. Uh, how would I want to say lack that? Lack of unemployment. Yeah, lack, lack of, unemployment. of unemployment. There you <laughs> the go, Jake. <laughs> that, and the fact that we have a lot of people that just don't yeah. want to work, you know. So all those things added up, everybody's kind of a little bit off balance, I would say, and really trying to figure out where we are going from here. And, you know, we believe that, you know, there could be a lot more significant downside here. A lot of this is going to depend upon what the Federal Reserve does. And I know we talk about Jerome Powell all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as far as the economy goes, you know, he's kind of the guy with the uh, the reins right now, you know, and whether he goes right or left, if he's going to pivot or, in other words, continue down this path he's on is really going to make a lot of difference. Another thing too, Jeff, is uh, when we're talking about Jerome Powell and all this kind of thing, one of the things that happened last week is that we got some really horrific housing data, meaning people are not buying houses, buying mm -hmm. way less than they thought. Builders are building less houses, less permits, all that kind of thing. When that news came in, the market went straight up. Now, that makes no sense, right? Because right. the market would tend to cheer on news that's going to promote more business being done, therefore more profits and all these business. But right now, we have this backwardation 
of data, meaning when we have good news, it's bad news. And when we have bad news, it's good news. And why is that? It's because the market anticipates that if we have enough bad news, the Fed will stop raising interest rates, which is a much more powerful force than any of these other data and metrics out there that are going on. And so that's why you see these really confusing moves. And that's why we're having these bear market rallies the way we're having them is because if the Fed turns around and changes its mind and says, hey, we're done hiking, we're going to start cutting rates or we're going to just stay for a little while, the market is going to soar. Even if there's no real economic reason for it to soar, it will still soar. And so we have to remember, though, that if we zoom out and see the big picture, there's really no reason for things to be going up at this point. Right. Everything is at least as bad as it was six months ago. Many things are much worse. So uh, it's just important to understand that when you're looking at your statements, you're looking at your values, and you're looking at market reactions to some of this data, it seems to make no sense until you consider what it is that everybody's really looking at on Wall Street. Well, if you're in the market, how can you tell whether or not these rallies are real and there is something behind them that's not going to last? Now, that is the $64 billion question. Billion dollar question (laughs) with inflation. And, you know, if you you talk to the people that, you know, are supposed to know, right, Mm -hmm. maybe us a little bit, and then a lot of people that have been doing this for 30 and 40 years, the art cashins that have been out there for 50-plus years, and and those people, they're going to tell you the same thing, is that, you know, these are very uncertain times, and it's really hard. Everybody's kind of scratching their head right now. We know that this bear market rally was pushed up a lot by where hedge funders and and people that control a lot of the market had been short-selling, and they had to cover some of those, so that pushed the market up, and helped it to go. And then, of course, as it goes, there's this thing called FOMO, we call it. That's F-O-M-O, fear of missing out, that people said, well, you know what? That thing is really going, and so we better jump in here now, too. And that pushed it a little bit further. But like Jake said, really, the economic data is not that much better than it's been. Let's talk about inflation. The president says that inflation is not going up, but it's not going down. I think that's called peak inflation, right? Yeah, I think he called it zero, but I'm not zero. Okay, I'm not sure. Same thing. I mean, it definitely wasn't zero. It definitely wasn't zero. It went from you know eight point seven to eight point six. So I guess that's a win. I I don't know. It might just be a miscalculation. We maybe maybe we didn't carry one digit and it didn't round up. (laughs) But let's talk. Let's talk about what that really means. It means the rate of change of inflation was zero, meaning it's not going up at an exponentially faster pace. So. That that doesn't mean that prices didn't go up. Prices still went up eight plus percent. And so it's very, when we're looking for peak inflation, what we're looking for is the rate at which inflation is going up is slowing. That's what peak inflation means. But a lot of people think that that means that prices are coming down. Well, let me tell you, have you been to a store in the last couple of weeks? Yeah. If you have, you'll mm-hmm. know that prices are not coming down. No. Have you had food at McDonald's or Wendy's or a char restaurant up the street? Mm-hmm. You will know that prices are not coming down. Jake, you and I were talking the other way about an experience that you had going to a major department store, and there were no sales there. As a matter of fact, things were full price. Yeah, I think that uh, you know somebody forgot to tell people that if you're operating a discount retailer, that there has to be discounts. Yeah. Um, and and you know it's uh, it's just it's remarkable how people seem to be willing to pay almost anything for this. And I think we're right. starting to see 
some of these stories, like the one that you and I talked about, Jeff, where people are starting to go, you know what? I think that's just too much money for that, and I'm not going to buy it. That's the stuff that recessions are made of. You might share uh, with our audience what happened there. Yeah, I was in the supermarket Sunday, and I was going down the bottled water aisle, and a lady said, where's the Dasani bottle? I said, well, it's right over here. She took a look at that and goes, $6.99? That's that's crazy. I'm not going to buy that. And she turned around and walked away. And so that was a little mini recession there. I mean, we've gotten to the point, and I've done it as well, too, where I've seen these prices and I've said, you know what? Enough is enough. I may be able to afford to buy that, but just on general principle, I'm not going to pay for that. So I'm going to choose either a less expensive option or I'm not going to buy it at all. Do you think that more and more people are having that experience? Are we indeed in a recession? I do think that more people are having that experience, Jeff, and I think that a lot of people question what a recession is because the White House keeps changing the definition. I think it, it, if you zoom out and you really look at what a recession is, it's that story that you just told right. on most items by most people creates a recession. And so when when things get too too high relative to the conditions that we're living in, in this case, it's just because prices are going up, but it could be because quality and standard of living is going down as well, and they just don't have enough money to buy things. But in this case, it's because prices are just going up and up and up, and people right. are eventually going to run out of credit card capacity to, yeah. uh, to rake this thing. You know, I think that that's a really good example. Uh, to your question, are we in a recession? We are technically in a recession. I think we're going to experience more of a recession. There's two possible outcomes. The one outcome is that the Fed stays strong and continues to raise rates and do what they should do to curb this inflation. That will create a recession. The other option is that they pivot, they turn around, they start easing, or they just stop raising rates. And the market really, and the general public, does not stop spending. What that will do is that'll create a recession three to six months from now. Mm -hmm. And so I think that either way, I think we end in a recession. The question is just how fast, and if we kick the can six months, it's going to hurt a lot more because we're going to see inflation has not peaked if they do not continue raising these rates. And if inflation has not peaked, it's going to get real ugly. Um, The market has priced in that we have seen the top of inflation. And if you unprice that in, we will go back to lows and lower very quick. So some people say, well, we're in a recession. Others say we're not quite in a recession yet. So the question is, what's it going to take to get out of this? Is it going to take a good old-fashioned recession? I mean, one in which there is no argument about? Well, you hear, uh, if you watch the news, you keep hearing about, you know, we think the Federal Reserve can bring us in for a soft landing. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? You know, because that's, that's really a metaphorical the way they use it people go what does that mean yeah so uh what what they're saying is they think they can feather it in to where they can curtail demand and make it really just kind of come up to the edge there and be seamless with the amount of money and the cost of money and what's available to make us not have to have a recession and quell demand to where we can get the supply chain back together and everything works out fine now i gotta tell you that's a job. I, I don't know how they're going to get that done, honestly. Uh, One could argue that it's never really happened before mm-hmm. and that the situation is much more extreme this time because we have $9.5 trillion on the balance sheet. Yeah, no, make no mistake. You know, we talk about, you know, the recession and, and yeah, nobody wants to have one, uh, but we've had them as long as there's been economies and mm-hmm. we'll always have them. 
And on the other side of this is going to be good times again. And so for people to say, well, what do we do in the interim? You know, uh, if you look out, you know, and you, you are watching the news and what's going on, you'll hear everything from, you know, cash is king right now. That's your best tool uh, while we get through this and figure out if we're going to have a recession or not. There'll be other people that'll say, well, you need to buy some dividend paying stocks and just hang in there. And some people are saying, well, you know, I'm young. I got a long time. I'm going to mm-hmm. keep investing. And you should. And if you got a long time horizon, uh, this doesn't affect you nearly so much because the market will cycle back again and go up. But, you know, right now, how do we react to it? We tighten our belts a little bit. Hey, buy what we need to buy. Do what you need to do. Right. But uh, just realize that, you know, if you can save a little money, you probably should do it right now. And on the other side of this, again, will be great times. And uh, so we're not, you know, we're not negative, really. We just are, you know, aware of where we are and some things need to be righted to really come out of this. I think one thing you hinted at there too, Randy, is that if you have a long time horizon, you should keep investing and not worry about it. Right. But the people that have a five year or less time horizon to retirement, those are the people that need to be careful here. Many people are going to remember what happened in 2008, and a lot of people lost half the money they had invested. You really can't afford to have that happen to you in the last five years before retirement. And so we need to have a plan in place to really defend against a major correction where, you know, we don't turn $500,000 in retirement assets into 250. And I think you hit the nail right on the head, Jake, and that is to have a plan. If you've got a plan, I mean, things like a bear market, inflation, recession, high gas prices, all this, well, they're still going to hurt a little bit, but they're not going to be devastating. So if you're listening to this radio program today and you would like a plan, you don't have a plan, coincidentally, Randy and Jake of Floyd Financial Group are offering an opportunity for you to get in, sit down with them, and get started on your financial plan. It's not going to cost you a dime. It is complimentary. To get yours, call 417-889-7233, 417-889-7233. Get in, sit down with uh, Randy and uh, Jake and put your mind at ease. Get on a plan that'll make these downturns in the market just an annoyance and not a life-changing event. Or you can go to the website and request your plan from there. It's floydfinancialgroup.com, floydfinancialgroup.com. You're listening to Show Me the Money. Thank you so much. Hope you're having a great Saturday morning. We'll be right back with more of our show here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready for a heaping helping of some more real talk? Thought so. Here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your server, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake Floyd. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And we're in this segment, we're going to be talking about markets in general, bond markets, stock market, the size of those markets, and really kind of how they break down to give people a little bit of an insight, I guess, into how we invest and why we change and why it's important to know that you do need to change. And Randy, a lot of people think that the stock market is the biggest market sector out there. But in reality, that is not true. What is the biggest market sector? No, you know, it's the debt market. Now, that sounds crazy, right? People go, the debt market? What is that? What's that? Well, that's the bond market. Mm -hmm. So when you own a bond, you own the debt of a company or a municipality or a government versus when you own stock, you have equity ownership. And so that's one big distinction. So if you own the debt of a company, if you own the debt of something, what you're doing is you're buying that debt and then that company needs to pay you for that debt. Is that the way a bond works? That's right. In fact, many of the people listening to this program will remember when this used to be the case. Now, it's not so much anymore, but 
I remember that uh, when I was growing up, my brother-in-law worked for Ford Motor Company mm-hmm. in Clay Como, Missouri, which is up by St. Uh, Kansas City, not St. Louis, right? Kansas City. So uh, I remember going up to Clay Como, and he said, yeah, I'm off for a few days because this is model changeover. Mm-hmm. So model changeover came around, used to be every September. Well, and Jeff, you probably remember that, and now they've kind of breached that. They introduce cars whenever they want, right? Right, right. Just kind of whatever it happens. But during model changeover, what they would do is they would go in and they would retool their assembly line and get ready to make the next year's models. And so what did those people always do? Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler, they issued short-term debt securities, bonds. They said, okay, general public, come in, give us some money to do changeover and produce our new model, and we'll pay you interest while we have that money, and then we'll give your principal back at the end. So that's the basics of how a bond works. The client gives that company the money, they pay them interest along the way, they give their money back at the end. Now, there's some interesting things that happen, though, in the middle of that. So let's say, Jeff, that we get a, uh, and those were really short-term bonds to do that, but let's say right. we get a 10-year or a 20-year bond where we know that we're going to put that money in and for the next 20 years they're going to pay us a payment. What happens along the way if interest rates change? So in other words, let's say I've got a bond that pays you know, 2%. Mm-hmm. And rates go up to where people can buy bonds that pay 4%. Well, if I ever want to get my money out ahead of time before that end of 20 years and rates are four and mine's paying two, what must I do to sell it? Yeah. Nobody <laughs> wants to buy my bond that pays two if they right. can go up the street and buy one that pays four. Sure. So I'm going to have to discount my bond for anybody to buy it if I need my cash. Mm-hmm. Now, the opposite is also true. From 1981 through 2020, interest rates went down, 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 down. So as interest rates go down, any bond that I own you know, that has a higher interest rate is worth more all along the way. So there's this very delicate balance between, you know, how interest rates play in and it's like a teeter-totter is what I tell people, you know. You got your money on one side and what it's worth, you got the interest rate on the other, and as the interest rate gets heavier, well, the bond gets worth more and and just the opposite. It just works like a teeter-totter. So it's kind of interesting and people don't really understand that. So right now with interest rates rising, you know, for the longest time people thought, you know, bonds are the retirement person's absolute best asset. And they were right for 40 years as interest rates were going down, down, down. But as interest rates go up, we even see today that high-grade, investment-grade corporate bonds have lost probably 5 to 9% year-to-date. So the bond market is the biggest market even above the stock market. And as you said, the bond market is maybe not as healthy as it has been in the past. Do you see this turning around at all? Well, you know, that depends a lot on what Mr. Jerome Powell does and it also, you know, how much he tightens the money supply. As money supply gets tightened through the Federal Reserve, people have to go out elsewhere to the general public to find that money, and that's typically going to push rates up. All right. Now, there are different types of uh, bonds. Let's talk about those. What is the biggest sector in the bond market in terms of types of bonds? Uh, treasuries are the biggest portion of that. That's where our government issues bonds to the public. They buy them up and they get paid interest by our government. And of course, at the end of that time, whether it's a 10-year, and they do these things in increments, you know, you can do two-year, five-year, 10-year, 20-year, 30-year bonds. All different denominations are out there. And you can even get shorter than that if you want to. 
than the port I started with. But all those are available, and depending on what your time horizon is and how you want to invest, generally the shorter the amount of time you invest money, the lower the interest rate. But one of the things you may have been hearing in the news recently is that the bond yield curve is inverted, meaning that today, because people are uncertain, we're paying actually more interest, getting more yield out of short-term bonds than we are 30-year bonds, which is completely upside down. And oh, by the way, has typically been the forecaster of recessions every time. So the information that I have in front of me says that in the bond market, the treasuries are about 35%, followed by corporate debt, 21%, mortgage-related, 22%. Then we get down into single digits with municipal money markets, agency securities, and asset-backed bonds. Do you think for the long-term investors, bonds is still a great place to put money? It depends on what you're wanting to do with your money. If you're wanting security, and that's your main concern, and you know you're not going to need the capital, you just need the interest, right. then it can still be a good, viable place to put the money. Um, however, you know none of us know what tomorrow holds, and unless you're one of those, what I would call uh, a mega wealthy person that you just have all the money that you're ever going to need and you're not ever going to have to you know pull that money out of there you're not going to have an emergency that that creates a situation to do that then yeah they could still be a viable safe asset however if you're looking for yield and you need yield you know we've talked about the fact that you know if you've got a million dollars saved and you want to want to pull fifty thousand dollars a year out of there you need to make a five percent return well, it's going to be pretty hard to do that, you know, in the bond market right, right now because, in fact, what you might end up getting is a negative return, not a positive <laughs> return. So it's uh, it's just something that we have to look at in everybody's case. And I will say this. I think there will be a better time to invest in bonds later as we kind of see this uptick cycle come to an end might be an okay time to take some positions there and as it goes up a little bit you might want to dabble in that a little bit because when the market does go down on the other side and interest rates get pushed down like we talked about jeff then the price of your asset will go up so as you said things may get better later but you know i want to invest right now if i want to put my money someplace what are some good alternatives to the bond market well, right now, we're using several different tools for that. One of the things that we're using is there's a lot of these newer products out there. And when I say newer, they're not new. You know, most inventions and most things we use today are recreations of things that we've had for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. So the first internal combustion engine... I couldn't even imagine what that must have sounded like <laughs> and how it must have been, right? right? But today we have, you know, internal combustion engines that are pretty efficient and work pretty well, you know. So we have some newer tools. There's a thing called a RILA. That's a registered index linked annuity contract. And what right. those things do is they give us market upside, but give us some downside protection. We also have other types of setups like that where you have no downside risk and you have upside based on what the market does. People say, well, hey, if the market's going down, you know, how does that work for me today? Again, you know, there's really, in some cases, and we've been here for a while, there's not been a great asset class this entire year except oil and gas, and it's kind of run its course and is headed down right now. But I would just encourage people that we do have ways to get decent interest rates today uh, and ways to make money when the market does rally again. I would just encourage people to call us and we'll sit down and talk about what's best for them. And if you want to call Floyd Financial Group, 417-889-7233. 
401-789-7233. So if the bond market is the biggest market sector, what are the other ones? What is uh, second, third, and fourth? So yeah, we'll talk about you know the stock market next, and we'll just kind of talk about that because really the the two major markets that everybody looks at you know is you know the stock market, the bond market, and within the stock market even we have different market sectors. So every everything from basic materials to consumer cyclicals, that's things that we buy when things are good and we're you know expensive things and cars and cruises and that sort of thing. We have the financial services, that's banking and and investment banking. We have real estate out there as a sector. We have communication services as a sector of the market, energy. We have industrials, which is like manufacturing. Then right. we have technology. Then we have consumer staples or defensive, we call it. That's Procter & Gamble and Gillette and all those things that you use and deodorant, you know, that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Whether it, you know whether the market's good or not, everybody wants to smell good, right? right? And then healthcare and utilities. So there's 11 major market sectors in the stock market. And here's the thing to know about that, Jeff, is not always are all sectors doing well. In fact, generally, there's three or four sectors that are carrying most of the weight as we look at markets. Sometimes it's a broader time than that. And, you know, if we've come through a recession and we're on the other side of that, yes, we can have strong cycles through all of those. But needless to say, there is what's called sector rotation. Sectors do well for a while. They kind of get pumped up and bought up to a high point. And then people say, okay, we've made some money here. Where's the next place to go? So as we look at how markets break out, the largest portion or the largest investment area in the market right now is technology, representing about 25% of the market. The next biggest place there is going to be probably in the healthcare arena then we're looking at things like financial services which is you know again banks and that sort of thing mm-hmm. and then consumer cyclical and and then on down the list to where you get down to where real estate is really the lowest other than basic materials which is like quarry products and you know things of that nature real estate is 2.85% of the market but it's it's important to know that technology again is one quarter of the market and inside technology there's one major player jeff could you imagine who that is that represents eight percent of the entire market apple (laughs) we're talking about market sectors with randy and jake floyd here at floyd financial group and i think it just goes to show that there are a lot of tools in the toolbox at floyd financial group not only the bond market but also the stock market real estate and on down from there if you would like a financial plan that does involve a lot of tools in the toolbox i mean you've got to use the right tool for the job i've always heard that the right tool for the job is the way to go go to a financial advisor that has a lot of tools in that toolbox and that's floyd financial group if you would like your complimentary no cost no obligation financial plan with randy and jake they're at floyd financial group call 417-889-7233 417-889-7233 you can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com it's floydfinancialgroup.com thank you so much for sharing your saturday morning with us here on show me the money we'll take a quick break be right back with more of our show right here on 104.1 fm ksgf where springfield comes to talk back with your financial catch of the day and it's a big one here's more show me the money radio with your host randy floyd Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to talk about pensions, those things that most people don't have anymore. But if you do, (laughs) it's important that you make the right decision on how to take your pension. That's right. They're going the way of the dodo bird. Uh, They're becoming extinct. 
A lot of people used to have pensions. I remember Randy and Jake when I was a kid. Everybody's dad had some sort of a pension of some sort, and that's what they lived on. They had Social Security. They had a pension. They were just happy as they could possibly be. But these days, a whole different story. Not a lot of people have pensions, but for those people who are lucky enough to have pensions, when it comes time to retire, you're usually offered two different choices, one of which is you can take a lump sum, or the other is you can take a monthly payout. This is a decision that may or may not be quite simple to figure out. So how do we go about deciphering whether to take the lump sum or to take the monthly annuity? So, you know, Jeff, you missed one thing. Yeah. After the 30 years of work, we got the pension, we got Social Security, and we got a gold watch. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember those days? Now, it wasn't truly a gold watch. It was a golden-colored watch. A golden Yeah, I was going to say gold-plated, and it wasn't even that good gold. It wasn't (laughs) that good of gold. just called a gold watch, though. Right. (laughs) I think it was electrostatic. It's false advertising. (laughs) But anyway, yeah. You've got this decision to make. You either take the lump sum or you take the monthly annuity. How do we yeah. go about figuring out which is the best way to do it? So a couple things, you know, if you're married, the first thing you have to look at if you're considering taking the pension is, uh, you know, do I take it just for my lifetime or do I take it to where a certain amount of my pension, whether that be 100%, three quarters or half of it maybe survives and goes to my spouse. That's mm-hmm. one of the things that's a consideration. But really at the forefront of this, it is, do I take a lump sum and invest that money? Or do I give up the lump sum in exchange for my pension payment each month? So let's talk about that just for a moment. So Jeff, it kind of goes back to this age old question that we've been asking on here. And that is, would you rather have $50,000 a year guaranteed Mm -hmm. for life or a million dollars cash? That's kind of how it goes, right? Right. So a lot of people would say, and I don't know, what would you say? Would you rather have the million bucks cash or the 50000 You know, in thinking about it, Randy, I would say that I would take the million dollars because I'm going to bet. Well, I'm not a betting person. I'm going to say that I could possibly make more money with that million dollars over a period of time. And the other thing is I don't know how long I'm going to live. I would hope to live 20 years, but I may, may not do that. And if I take the monthly pension and I die in a couple of years, I didn't get my million dollars. That's right. You sure didn't. So here's what I would say. You know, you need a a 5% return on investment to generate the 50,000 off your million. You know, if you did in lieu of, and you won't in many cases, especially if you're going to put a survivor's benefit on, on a million dollar pension, you won't get $50,000 a year if you make it survive and go to your spouse. It's probably going to be more, and they vary a little bit. Some companies do actually help prop it up a little bit, but I'm going to say generally it's going to be four and a half percent or so that you're going to get maybe 4% if you're wanting 100% of that pension to go to your spouse. So I just tell you that for most times when we sit down and talk to people, we're baby boomers. Most of us see that are retiring right now, Jeff. Mm-hmm. And what do we know about baby boomers? You know, we don't like the status quo. No. We want it to be better. And we want to have our cake and eat it too. Right. <laughs> okay. And we want so, it now. That's right. <laughs> we want it now. So by taking the lump sum and investing it conservatively, we can generate what we need to make sure you never outlive that money. There are some situations, though, where maybe the pension rules have not been updated as recently that are factoring on higher interest rates, where sometimes people will get, instead of like the million dollars versus the 50000 what if they offered you 80000 a year? Mm-hmm. Now it's starting to look like, well, that might be worth looking at. But uh, it really comes down to how much they offer you versus how much the 
buyout would be. And so uh, it's something we really look at case by case. We're going to look at, you know, lots of factors, the, the health of the person, how big an age gap there is between you and your spouse, what other retirement assets you have, what kind of tax bracket you're in. I mean, there's a lot of factors, but the real basic version is if they, if they don't give us more than five or six percent uh, as a payout, which most don't, it's going to make more sense probably to take the buyout. But again, it's a case by case basis. Yeah, for sure. And the thing I would, I would point out to people that, that you got to think about when you turn on that pension, that lump sum of cash is gone forever. Ever, right. Versus let's say that I do take my million dollars and I take maybe a 5% distribution of $50,000. Well, what happens when we have a market rally like we did when Donald Trump was in office and over that four-year period, we were up 60%. So now here we go, over four years, we needed to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars out of there, but now we probably got a million, three or 400,000. So when we need a new car, we can just take it and go get it. Right. You know, And you're not going to be able to do that with your pension. Your pension is what you got, and mm -hmm. that's it. You know, and the important thing is, is when people take this lump sum pension, you know, we often tell people, you know, you've done a good job, you've worked hard, you've got this lump sum of money, and now it's our job, and whoever your financial planner's job is, it's their job not to screw it up, because <laughs> you've got it done, you know, so we need to have, again, a well-thought-out plan, and also, really, you know, we've talked about the story of Mr. Green and Mr. Brown, right? Right, right. You know, that depending on how market returns fall have a big, big impact on how long your money lasts. Now, if we're really monitoring and we're working the plan and we're set up to where we want to be to take our money, we're not going to ever take a deep enough cut into our principal to where we can't recover. And that's where we come in and designing plans. You talked about the health of the person taking the pension. Sometimes I worry about the health of the company that is giving me the pension. Now, I have a performing arts pension. And right now, the health of the company is very, very good. The health of the union is. But is that a consideration, the health of the company that's giving you the pension? In other words, can the company go belly up and you don't get anything? It absolutely is. Now, I will say this. It's a big concern. We saw this with some local union-type pensions that were underfunded. Right. Now, most of the major pension plans around the countryside are insured by the Pension Guarantee Association, which is a government entity, which will generally tell you that they're going to insure that pension to about 60% of what you would have gotten, if, you know, as a full benefit either for yourself over your lifetime or if you do a joint payout for you and your spouse. So the Pension Guarantee Association is a real thing. It's out there, but certainly we don't want to live on 60% of what we couldn't live on already, probably. Would you say that this concept really applies to almost any lump sum payout? I mean, let's say that someone's lucky enough to win the lottery and they offer a lump sum or a monthly annuity. Would you say the same consideration should be considered into something like that? Yeah, the thing I'm going to look at again is what's the relationship of the payment to the gross amount, and then I can make a pretty quick determination on what I want to do there, again, uh, unless they're really sweetening the pot. And once in a while, we see that where a company will do it. And one thing comes to mind, I'll tell you about, Jeff. There was a gentleman, oh, that's probably been 10 or 12 years ago that retired mm -hmm. uh, from a company here locally that is no longer in business, but they were making computer chips and boards is what they were doing right. here uh, right around this area. And 
and he had like two hundred and fifty or sixty thousand dollars, I believe the number was, in a pension plan. And we said, well, yeah, you probably want to take the lump sum, but let's get an estimate. And we will do this every time. Let's get let's get him to send us an estimate of what you're going to get it paid. Well, he was going to get paid thirty thousand dollars a year on a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar you know amount. And mm-hmm. so we're saying, okay. Now you're getting more than 10% per year. Right. Right? Of that. I said, you've got to take the pension, but just make sure it survives and goes to your spouse. And that's why I just wanted to clarify that a minute ago is, I mean, 90 plus percent of the time, I would say it's probably more effective to take the buyout as long as risk tolerance is high enough to be able to make some money. But there are exceptions to that where, you know, they have these ridiculous, you know, 10 or 12% payouts, then your payout is so much more than you're likely to get even in an aggressive portfolio over the long haul that it really does make sense sometimes to just take the take the pension. And also, I mean, the break-even period, uh, it, for a lot of these pensions, it's 20 years before the monthly payout will equal the amount that you could have gotten in a lump sum. So you got to figure your health, are you going to be, you know, living 20 years in order to do that? Basically, this is not a slam dunk decision, is it? No, no. Everybody's situation is different. And we just like to walk people down the path and kind of look at all the options. And we know this, that if we, you know, inform people and help them understand what they have and what their choices are, they'll make the right decision. Do most people who face this decision coming to you, Randy and Jake, I mean, do they take the lump sum or do they go with a monthly annuity? Here's what I would say, that probably 90% of the time we find that the pension payout is not strong enough Mm -hmm. For us to want to take the pension payment, we would rather have the lump sum. And once we kind of show them the math, they agree. And a lot of times it's just because we don't want to give up our options. Right, right, right. right. Is, is, you know, if you take that pension, you have no options after that. You know, we don't like anything that we can't change. If there's right. anything that's certain about retirement, it's, it's that it's not going to go the way you think it's going to go. And we need to be able to account for those changes. So we don't like to screw people down to where they can't move, you know. And so unless there's just a really compelling reason to take that, because it's irrevocable, we don't like to do that. And it is a big decision. It is one that really requires a lot of thought, and it does require running a lot of numbers, too. And if those people listening to us have this option, certainly we want to invite you to get in and sit down with Randy and Jake. Let them run those numbers for you to come up with the right solution for you. Whether or not you do have a pension or not, and you're facing that decision, there is no doubt that you should have some sort of financial plan that will get you to retirement and through retirement. And right now, Randy Jake offering a complimentary financial review, which could lead to a financial plan. To get yours, call 417-889-7233. No cost, no obligation. Most of all, no judgment. Randy and Jake will meet you where you are. 417-889-7233. You could also request your plan online and find out more about the firm online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. We'll be right back with the final portion of our show here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good. Because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpa, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, Jeff, what we're going to do is we're going to try to allay some fears that people have of China and how uh, the United States may be losing favor globally. 
Is China, I mean, I see these uh, news reports all the time, too, and I, uh, I think that some people perceive China as being a threat. Is China really a threat to us? So a couple things I would say along that line. Of course, we never know what what <laughs> communist regimes may may or may not do, right? Right. But when we when we look at it from the perspective that you know there's a lot of people on the radio today, and I won't name any names specifically, but they're always talking about how you know America's on its last leg. We're doing horribly. And let me just say this: there are lots of things going on in this country that. I don't agree with and that I don't support right. and that I wish were different. And I think we can all say that. I'd like um, to know, though, where uh, where it's going so much better that, that people should go. And, and I'd yeah. like to ask them why they're not there. Yeah, right. and, yeah. And still... Uh, we have more people working their hardest to get to this country than any place else on the on the face of the earth, you know. So while we're we got you know we got some problems here. Every every dog has a flea or two, right? Right. We're going to get worked through these. But if we look at ourselves in comparison to the rest of the world, and China is the number two economy on the globe right now. For years it was Japan, but mm-hmm. then uh, you know China came in and took over that role. And so one of the things I always look at is when we look at China, there's like one. Point four billion people over there, right? And probably one billion of those people are living in poverty, and the other four hundred million or so are the ones that are making things really run over there. And it's and even then, their setup is not equal to anything that we have here. If in fact, if you look at what's called the gross domestic product, that's GDP for short, that basically talks about what does a nation produce? Because at the end of the day, Jeff, here's the thing that matters. What you and I produce creates an economy. Mm -hmm. If we don't produce anything, there is no economy. And now we're back to raising tomatoes and goats and cattle and living <laughs> off the land, right? right I mean, that's right. basically what there is. And you don't have anything, nothing is made except what you make. So when we look at our gross domestic product, we're probably at about $23 trillion a year now. China's probably around $17 trillion. We probably buy nearly half of the $17 trillion from them, so mm-hmm. they really can't survive without us. It would be economic catastrophe for them to try to survive without us. We're 4% of the world's population. We consume about 25% of the world's goods and services here. And so our gross domestic product is roughly six times what China's is. So every, if you take... Per capita. Yeah, if you take the entire population in the United States, about 330 million, and you divide it into our GDP, it's around 60, it's 60 plus thousand dollars a year in gross domestic product production that we do. We look at China, they're at 17 trillion on 1.4, they're at 12, maybe thousand per head. Now, some of the other countries, if we get down to Germany and we get to the UK and some of those, they have higher production numbers than China and higher GDP than China, Mm -hmm. but they're also small that they really don't have any impact. One of the things I hear all the time around here is, hey, you know, when is, uh, when's our dollar going to get devalued? When's our dollar going to go away? Well, right now we're at 20 year highs against Europe's currency, the euro. Used to be people would come to this country back in the 80s because they knew for every euro they would bring over here, they would get a dollar and 60 cents in value. Today, they're going to get roughly a dollar. So what does that mean? That means that basically Europe has lost 50, 60% of their buying power 
over the last 20 years against our currency. And the rest of the world is experiencing a lot of similar things. You know, the British pound used to be the world currency prior to us, the pound sterling. And they're down where it's like a buck 20. They used to be $2.20 for one of our dollars. So the rest of the world really right now is still just seeing taillights. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that we're perfect and we got everything figured out. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is in comparison to the rest of the world and what's going on here in this country, we are still in the best place to be. How much of our debt does China hold necessarily? You know, Jeff, I haven't looked at that number real recently, but it's less than 5%. I think a lot of people have this perception that they own like 90% of our debt or something like that. Right. The biggest holder of the debt is us. Mm-hmm. The United States of America. And you know, and some people are like, hmm, how does that work? Well, Americans own the debt, but also the government holds the debt. And when we talk about the Fed and the balance sheet, that's largely what we're talking about, where the Treasury Department issues these bonds, and then the Federal Reserve buys the bonds and holds them. And so it's a little bit of uh, financial engineering, to say the least. But I will say that China is not in a position really to power play us like a lot of people seem to think and a lot of, you know, while we are pretty right leaning on the political spectrum, mm-hmm. a lot of the right leaning news tends to fear monger about China taking us over and that kind of thing. And I really don't think that that's the case. I do think that they're a force to be reckoned with, but I would not say that they're in any way a more dominant force than us and that, you know, Europe will not publicly say things against China. But they do not trust China. You know, I mean, I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of people thinking that, you know, Europe's making backdoor deals with China all over the place. And I'd say the, the developed part of Europe is not doing that. Um, and, and it's not something we have to worry about, at least in the next few years. So China is not as big a threat as some people may make it out to be. How does the Chinese economy affect the United States and the global economy in general? So I think that, you know, the Chinese economy has largely been built on sweat labor and labor that is dirt cheap compared to what it would be here. I mean, you know, 5 to 7% of the cost for labor over there of what it is here, which is just crazy. I mean, just the simple fact that China has built their economy on abusing its population is probably enough reason to realize that they're not going to just, you know, take us over as this developed utopia of a country. I think that that is the baseline for the Chinese economy. Another thing that's kind of interesting is I read somewhere that it's like 90 plus percent of the wealth of the average Chinese citizen is wrapped up in their real estate. Mm -hmm. So over here, it's not quite that high where instead of them buying stocks or other investments over there, they put all their money into their homes. Well, if, if you've been seeing anything on the news over there recently, they're kind of in the middle of a housing collapse and there's big strikes on paying rent and, and, people not paying their mortgages and the government's trying to figure out how to make special loans and to to fix those problems and so i mean they're really not in the catbird seat over there like a lot of people really are saying that they are in fact i would argue that they're going to need to do something over there with that real estate market or they may have a serious serious problem on their hands uh, Randy mentioned also earlier in the show that Japan used to be the second biggest economy. What happened to Japan? A lot of people don't understand this. Uh, what happened to Japan is that they have a declining population. They have an aging workforce due to demographics. So similarly to what happened to us with the baby boom uh, in the 50s after the war, that happened in China prior to that. And so 
The same thing we're going to experience here before too long has been happening in Japan for quite a while. And so because their workforce is, is declining, they obviously are not producing as much. And so they've been really struggling. Well, China is about to have that problem times five over the next... 60, 70 years as this thing plays out. It's starting to happen now where um, because they limited how many babies a couple could have over there, they have a massively declining workforce, massively declining GDP problem looking forward. And so it's even speculated that by the year 2100, they may have 60% less people in China than they have right now. And that the United States is would be projected to overtake them in total population. So a lot of people don't think about demographics, but demographics are very powerful when it comes to economies. Because like Randy was saying, the GDP per person times how many people there are comes up with your GDP, right? How productive right. each person is. If I simply have half as many people, that's a huge drag on my ability to grow an economy. China certainly has its economic problems. There's no doubt about that. Is China's economy, do you think, the first sign of a global recession? You know, that's hard to say. I, I just, you know, the, the one big advantage that we have in this country is we could be self-sustaining. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of places on the planet that can say that. If you go over, you know, to the Middle East... They can't self-sustain over there. They can't drink. Well, I guess they can drink oil. But, <laughs> it wouldn't but be I, good for them. I, would, I wouldn't recommend it. But, you know, there's just a lot of places that are not. So are we having a global reset? The answer to that is probably yes. And it's just similar to what we're having here, except I think that in other markets and in other countries, they're just experiencing more than what we are here. We know that in the UK, it's like 18% inflation is what they've estimated over there. And, you know, they are, they're in dire straits. They've got winter coming on over there. You know, here we're paying about nine bucks a cubic foot for natural gas to heat and, mm -hmm. and you know, used for utilities. And over there, they're paying 50, 60 bucks for the same thing and maybe more than that now. So there's some uh, issues uh, around the countryside. Back to this demographics thing I was reading here. This was back from August 19th. 19th, Russia is offering a hero's medal to women who have 10 kids. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> along with a $16,000 bonus. wonder what the Octomom would get over. She'd probably get a couple medals over there for uh, that, right? I don't know, but, but that is interesting because, again, it says Russia has long-faced economic challenge from a declining and aging population. And it shows you the importance and that even Putin understands that importance to the tune of throwing money at people willing to have babies, similarly yeah. to the way they're thrown, having money thrown at them in this country. Yeah. We're talking about China with Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. I think the bottom line is that China is not as big a threat as some people make it out to be. Once again, loyal listeners of this program, get your financial review and your financial plan with Randy and Jake at Floyd Financial Group's not going to cost you anything. Complimentary, no cost, no obligation, no judgment. 417-889-7233. You're online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Gentlemen, out of time for this week, I want to thank you for your time. But most of all, I want to thank the fine people here of the last bastion of sanity in Springfield, Missouri, for joining us every Saturday morning. For Randy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. <laughs>